Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. If you'll turn with me back to Acts chapter 21, where we were just reading a moment ago, uh, this passage we're going to study here now, verses 27 to 40, uh, we find Paul in Jerusalem, and uh, what had been prophesied to happen to him there becomes a reality. Paul is falsely accused here, and he's arrested, probably almost killed, uh, as, as we read through this, because of his obedience to the Great Commission that Jesus gave him. Like most of the book of Acts, this section here is a, it's an action-packed uh, part of Scripture, a record of the followers of Jesus Christ living in faithful obedience to the Lord uh, as they go about to make disciples of Christ. Uh, do you all like cliffhanger episodes on TV? You know what I'm talking about, where you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? And you got to wait. I don't like those. Probably my impatience. I want to know what's going to happen next, especially when a a scene gets to an important apex, but uh, chapter 21 definitely ends in a cliffhanger manner. You'll have to wait till next week to find out what it is that Paul says, or, I, well, you could just read ahead after we're done here. I, I encourage you to do that this week, sometime this week. Read on into chapter 22 to prepare for our time together in God's Word next Sunday, but before we study these verses verse by verse, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit who's present in the lives of every single Christian here and dwelling them, Lord, to, uh, to be active in his ministry of illuminating the truth of your word to us. Uh, what a joy it is that we can understand your revealed word, and I pray that that would occur here this morning. But even more importantly, I pray that we'd respond to your word. So may your Holy Spirit also have free reign in convicting us of sin and showing us any areas of our life we need to bring into alignment with your word, with your will for our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So in uh, verses 27 to 29 here, um, we see the charge against Paul. It is described for us. The last time we looked at chapter 21, uh, back in verses 15 to 26, Paul had gone to the temple, uh, the Jewish temple, with some other Jewish Christians uh, to fulfill a Nazarite vow. Uh, he did this with the intention of quieting down some false rumors that were going around in the church at Jerusalem, uh, rumors that uh, said Paul had been, basically he had been teaching against um, the law, teaching that Jewish Christians needed to completely forsake every aspect of their Jewish ethnic or cultural heritage. And so Paul had taken care of that problem right there, but he finds himself in a new one here in verses 27 to 40. Uh, not with the Jewish Christians from the church in Jerusalem, but with Jewish unbelievers here in the temple. Verse 27 says that they, they stirred up all of the people and they laid hands on Paul. And here's the charge against Paul. In verse 28, God's word tells us that they were crying. Men of Israel, help, because this is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and against the law and against this place. And further, he's brought Greeks also into the temple, and he's polluted this holy place. So there's a charge against Paul. Now, who exactly is saying this? If you look back up at verse 27, it says specifically 
This came from the Jews of Asia. So these were Jews who, along with Paul, had come to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the important feasts on the Jewish calendar. Jews of Asia, meaning some individuals who already had a very long history with Paul, of opposition to Paul. Jews who had tried to silence him, tried to kill him already uh, for years in places like Ephesus and Corinth and Iconium, all the different places we read about Paul going on his three missionary journeys so far. They, those are the Jews, Jews of Asia who instigate a riot here in, these, in the temple and who bring these false charges against Paul. They're false. They're completely unfounded. Paul never spoke against the people of God. He was one of them. <laughs> he never spoke uh, against the law. He never spoke against the temple. He just simply taught that if we were to trust in any of those things, as a basis for our salvation, a basis for our right relationship with God, well, then we'd be wrong. That must be rejected. You know, it's interesting, if, if not ironic, that these charges being leveled against Paul here, uh, they're almost an echo of the charges that were brought against the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Uh, way back in Acts chapter 6, these were the same exact accusations spoken against that deacon, Stephen, who gave his life for the Lord. Paul was there then, wasn't he? As a member of the Sanhedrin, he was one of them presided over the trial of Stephen. Uh, we know from Scripture, and back in Acts chapter 6, it says Paul held the coats. His name was Saul back then. He held the coats of those who murdered Stephen back then. And now these false charges are coming against Paul. The last one, uh, which is further explained in verse 29 it's completely false. Paul did not bring any Gentiles into the temple. Uh, we need to understand the layout here of the temple, and you might be familiar with it, but there was an outer court of the temple that Gentiles uh, were permitted to access, but only Jews could, ethnic Jews could go in further to worship the Lord. And there were actually signs that were posted that absolutely prohibited anyone from doing this. Posted in multiple languages, it said, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and the enclosure. If you do, I guess plan to die. Because that's, that's, the, that's the punishment for doing so. Um, now, biblically, I think it would have been just fine if Paul had done this, what he's being accused of here at, at the end, uh, bringing Jews or uh, Greeks into the temple, Gentiles into the temple. Um, and I, I say that because Jesus made a way for that kind of worship to happen, didn't he? He did. Uh, in Christ, God tells us in Galatians 3, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, that the ethnic separation of Jew and Gentile, God says it's done. Yeah, in Christ, it's done. When, when Jesus uttered that it is finished on the cross, when God tore that temple veil in two from top to bottom, that Old Testament ethnic separation was finished, just like Jesus said. It is finished. We could apply that to that as well. Galatians 3.28 tells us this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Amen? We're all one in Christ. So I think Paul could have done this, but he didn't do it. Uh, along with the other charges, this was a false accusation, just like Stephen experienced, just like Paul's Lord, Jesus Christ, experienced, and just like you and I, from time to time, as followers of Christ, we might experience. But false accusations can have serious and significant repercussions, can't they? And they did here. They lead to the capture of Paul in verses 30 to 36. 
Uh, I mean, this is something that these Jews from Asia, uh, as well as the Jews in Jerusalem, uh, they have been working toward this for a long time. Paul, this, this former persecutor of Christians, one of the top Jewish leaders, he had become a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the time that Paul got saved, these Jews have been doing everything they could to have Paul meet the same fate as the one whom he preached about. In verse 30, he says, all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul, and they drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. They shut the doors to prevent any Gentiles uh, from coming in and polluting the temple, as they said, but they drew Paul out for one reason, and one reason only, they wanted to kill him. They wouldn't do it in the temple. They wanted to kill him. Verse 31 tells us that was their intent here. And remember, Paul had been warned uh, about this multiple times. The Holy Spirit had told Paul uh, through a number of different Christians that this is exactly what was going to occur if he kept going on to Jerusalem as he planned. And so I don't think Paul is a bit surprised at any of this happening. This is actually the sixth time in the book of Acts where Paul has experienced some kind of riot where his life was in danger. Back in chapter 14 in the city of Iconium, Paul had even been stoned and left for dead. The end of verse 31 lets us know that the news of this uproar, it made its way to the Roman soldiers who were stationed there. I would conclude that uproars at the temple were fairly common because the Roman army actually had soldiers stationed right there at the temple. Kind of a quick response Force. On the northwest side of the temple, uh, there was a building called the Fortress of Antonia, and it had steps that led down to the outer courtyard, because that's the only place the Roman soldiers could go, because they were Gentiles, but it led right down to the outer court, courtyard of the temple. And, and verse 32 tells us that immediately, with all this uproar, immediately Roman soldiers and centurions, they ran down these steps. This is a lot, because how many um, soldiers is a centurion in charge of? A hundred, right? And so centurions, so we got at least 200 soldiers here uh, with their leadership running down the steps. And the Jews who were beating Paul at this point, they paused for a moment. And then verse 33, it informs us that the chief captain of these soldiers, he came near and he took Paul and he commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was, what he had done to cause all of this ruckus. Paul gets a momentary break from getting beat up by the Jews who were trying to kill him, but now he's bound with two chains by the Romans, one on this hand going to a Roman soldier, one on this hand going to a Roman soldier. Does that sound familiar? You know, that's exactly what the prophet Agabus told Paul was going to happen to him in Jerusalem back in Acts chapter 21, verse 11, when Agabus went to Philip's house and said, Paul, you go to Jerusalem. And he, and he took Paul's belt off of him. He said, he wrapped his hands. He said, this is what's going to happen to you. And we, we see God's word come to fulfillment here. Now, the, the captain of the soldiers, he's not able to figure out what is causing all the uproar, the answer to his questions, because it says some of the Jews cried one thing. They said, he's guilty of this. And some of the Jews cried another. And he could not know the certainty for the tumult. And so he commanded Paul, get him into the castle. He told his soldiers, get him into the castle, get him to the barracks in this fortress here. And these soldiers have a difficult time doing this. As we learn in verse 35 that the soldiers had to carry Paul. He was, he was born by them. 
uh, he had him up and to protect him because the Jewish attackers were so violent. They had surrounded uh, the, the soldiers who were trying to protect Paul as they were going to carry him away. And listen to their cry, the cry of the, the people trying to kill Paul in verse 36, away with him. Don't misunderstand. That's not a, yeah, get him out of here, guys. No, um, it says away with him. These Jews are asking the Romans to do the very same thing that they did to Jesus Christ. Away with him. And the rest of our time here together this morning, I want you to pay close attention to Paul's response in, in all of this, especially in verses 37 to 40. I want you to try to put yourself in Paul's shoes here as we consider these verses. It's amazing, um, but, but we see the cognizance of Paul. I want, what would your reaction be if this was happening to you? I mean, you're just going to the temple to worship? And then you get arrested when people are trying to beat you up, and it's clear they're trying to kill you. You know what's going on. And now Roman army gets around you. It's coming. I mean, I think a normal human reaction would be what we call a fight or flight response. But that's not what we see in Paul in these verses, not at all. Instead, there is this cognizant, you know, what I'm talking about, like a mental awareness, even with a good bit of serenity, uh, peace, trust in God's sovereignty that Paul displays here. And you and I as followers of Jesus would be blessed to follow Paul's example in our own lives should traumatic situations ever arise. Look at verse 37. Paul here, I mean, bound with chains to a Roman soldier on each side, uh, having just narrowly escaped death, but, but possibly headed that way anyway, now at the hands of the Romans, Paul is led into the castle, it says in verse 37, and listen to what he says to the chief captain. May I speak unto thee, but he does it in a very special way. Paul says that in Greek. And that's important to, to note here, because as we find out in verse 38, these Roman soldiers had already made an assumption. They thought he was an Egyptian terrorist that was responsible for an earlier uproar at the temple and who narrowly escaped their capture. And Paul corrects their wrong assumption in verse 39. He says, no, no, I'm no, I'm no Egyptian terrorist. I am a man, which am a Jew of Tarsus. I'm from a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. I mean, it's kind of an important place. It's not some backwoods terrorist breeding ground. Uh, and he says, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak. Allow me to speak to all the people. Well, this changes everything in, in this situation. It definitely changes how Paul is regarded, how he's being treated by these Roman soldiers. He's no Egyptian terrorist. He's not even one of the uh, consistently troublemaking Jewish individuals that routinely cause problems for these Roman soldiers. Here's a well-educated fella from a prominent Roman city. Might be hinting that he's a Roman citizen. He's actually going to bring that out in chapter 22. Somebody's multilingual. And all of this factors into what these Roman soldiers are about to allow Paul to do. Look at verse 40 now. It says, and when they had given him license, they said, yeah, you can speak to the people. Paul stands up on the stairs at the top of this fortress, and he beckons with his hand to all the people, trying to get them to quiet down with their aways with him. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them, now in the Hebrew tongue, in the Hebrew tongue, saying, that's the end of chapter 21. What do you say? That's a cliffhanger here in the capital. We study what Paul says next week. But, but knowing what you know about the Apostle Paul, what do you think he says to this massive crowd of Jewish people? 
What's Paul's main, main message in life wherever he goes? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? And that's his whole purpose in coming to Jerusalem in the first place. Sharing the gospel, sharing the, the life-saving, life-transforming message about who Jesus is and what he has done for us to save us from our sins. But this amazing opportunity to share the gospel that we'll continue to study next week, it sure came in an unusual, frightening, even painful way, didn't it? And we know Paul's heart, that, that this right here, this is what he lived for, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also know that Paul was even willing to die to do that. Was that important to him? And he had been told before coming to Jerusalem, he had been informed by the Holy Spirit multiple times through multiple individuals that these, these things would happen. And still, Paul pressed on. Why did he do that? <laughs> How did he do that? How can you and I do the same thing? How can we obey the great commission Jesus has given us to share the gospel when we are met, when you and I are met with unusual and frightening maybe even painful opportunities to share the gospel. Well, first of all, we, we need to see such situations for what they are, opportunities to share the gospel, right? I mean, think about this. Well, what if that thing you're going through right now, what if the pain that you are experiencing right now, what if God has put that into your life to give you the kind of stage, that, the kind of platform to share the gospel that Paul has here? And you know what? It's not a what if. It really isn't. That's exactly what it is, Jesus follower. And that's why God has put that in your life. But will you choose to see it that way this morning? And instead of a fight or flight response, will you choose to perceive your pain as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Wait, will you choose to preach in your pain? Will your message be, I want out, I want out as fast as I can? Or will your message be, Jesus is enough. Jesus is my joy. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, than anything. Will that be your message, or will you let pain or, or persecution or some problem take over? Will that be your message? Will you allow your pain, your persecution, your problem to become your pulpit? People are listening. People are watching. What are you communicating? You know, as we close, let me return to a place I've taken you before, Philippians 1.20. And Paul writes uh, a letter there to the church at Philippi. And he's writing from a Roman prison cell. Philippians is known as a book about joy, its main theme. But listen to what Paul tells these Christians in the church at Philippi, who they're also facing tough times for being a Christian. And Paul says to them, and he says to us here this morning in Philippians 1.20, I have this singular earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be ashamed, but rather with all boldness, as always, so right now in what I'm going through, Jesus Christ will be magnified in my body, whether that's by life or by death. Paul would rather have Jesus than anything. Paul, Paul would rather point people to Jesus than anything else in life. What about you? Tommy, would you come and lead us in a time to respond to God's word? What, what about you? Say it if you mean it. Sing this song if you, you mean it. Sing it to the Lord and then live it for the Lord.